Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners and podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe that it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. Today, we are welcoming Phil Lockwood of Creation Chamber back to our program. This is Phil's third appearance on our show. Uh, Phil owns uh, a Denver-based web and marketing agency. He's got a team of about a dozen, uh, both remote and in-person. He's got some amazing clients over the last uh, 17 plus years running this agency. Uh, folks like Molson Coors, Adkins, Quiznos Subs, Jimmy John's, Rubbermaid, Denver Broncos, uh, currently or recently Major League Rugby, Never Summer Snowboards, uh, Breckenridge Brewery. Um, he's done some fantastic work over the almost two decades that he's been running his agency. Uh, we are very excited to be welcoming Phil Lockwood back to our program. Hey, Brent. I, I feel like, is it Alec Baldwin who's like hosted SNL six times or something? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're you're our Alec Baldwin? Is that what we're saying today? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, it's good to have you back. I think um, I think it's it's great for our listeners to uh, get to hear from a, an agency owner, um, you know, over time to hear about how um, how things are progressing. I know you had um, you've talked to us before about some some big uh, big goals for your business, and um, and we've got a few topics that I want to make sure we cover today. But I'd love to get just an update about. Uh, creation chamber because um, I know you've you've uh, you're you're very much in growth mode. So so what's been going on at your agency and and what are you guys focused on right now? Well, real quick background for people who aren't familiar with Creation Chamber and maybe haven't heard this spiel from me in the past. But when we started seventeen, almost eighteen years ago now, we were website design development almost across the board. Um, a few things outside of that, but really that was our, our bread and butter for about fifteen years. So it wasn't until just about two or three years ago that we even got into kind of the digital marketing retainer side of our business, which 
very quickly became the main revenue driver in our business. So it's, it's our biggest focus now, even though we're still doing a ton of website design development. But uh, after uh, 10 years or so in business, you know, we, we were up to 70 people at one point and then uh, went through some partnership challenges, which I know has been a topic on um, various discussion panels that you've had in the past, but basically decided, look, we don't want to be in business together anymore. We split off. Now, did some some sell-offs, did some uh, reverse mergers, and and this sort of thing. It was a pretty big mess, honestly, and left me at a point where I said, I want to have a lifestyle business for a little while. I need a break from this. So we were completely remote. We were completely virtual as an agency, and did that for honestly about six years, I think, until it was like, all right, it's time to to, to buckle down again and turn this into a bigger agency again and and do some amazing things. So for the past couple of years, we've been partially in prep mode on that and then into execution mode. And at this point, we're looking at, uh, on average, at least doubling our business every year for the next five years or so. And uh, things have, for the most part, been pretty well on track for that. We had a little bit of a setback earlier this year. Um, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, it was a good thing. It was one of those challenges that are going to pop up no matter what. We can certainly get into that at some point, um, if it's relevant to the conversation, but we're now at a point where we are focused more on building our Denver team back up so that we actually have that ability to work together in our office here. Um, you know, build, build culture a little bit more freely in that respect. So where we used to kind of recruit nationwide, just finding the best resources we could anywhere. Uh, even if it meant they were working remote, we now highly prioritize local resources in the Denver area here. Um, but still today, about half of our team is Denver-based and, and the other half is very remote. I feel like you must have a great perspective uh, on the pros and cons of having virtual team having a you know the big agency kind of going literally through this kind of roller coaster of 70 people down to you know i I mean i think for a while it was like the one person kind of lifestyle business i'm sure you had contractors and stuff but i remember distill the kind of intermezzo company was was kind of based around you know you were the primary you know person in the business the the main you know employee if you will uh and then now building that back up um I mean, I just literally look at that as like, I mean, that has to be a roller coaster of just kind of working through those types of things. Um, how has that experience, I guess, changed your perspective on how you're building your team back up now? I mean, you know, to have 70 people, to have that business that I think a lot of agency owners maybe not necessarily really want, but maybe they kind of daydream about, to have that company go all the way down to, to the core essence of, of who you are and what you want to do, and then to be building that back up. I mean, what are the types of things that you're doing differently now? Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, we sometimes talk about agencies or companies in general getting to reinvent themselves. Like if you could start from scratch, what would you do differently? And we literally have had that opportunity. So it's very nice to just be able to leave a lot of baggage behind and build things up in much smarter ways. Um, we're, we're much smarter, much more experienced today than we were 10 years ago or 15 years ago when we were in uh, at that smaller stage. But 
all of our competition, everybody else is smarter today than they were before as well. So it doesn't make it a whole lot easier for us, but it's just, it certainly is more fun to have the resources that are available today. I mean, you think back then and there was, I don't think Gmail was out yet. Uh, so we were using uh, probably pop mail to begin with and then moved into like uh, Microsoft Exchange. I remember I won't get into this too much because we actually talked about this on the last podcast, but the, the level of infrastructure that we had in one of our biggest offices downtown, uh, all the Ethernet, all the servers for Microsoft Exchange, it was tens of thousands of dollars, not to mention the staff that we had to pay to, to maintain it for something that is now called Google G Suite, you know, where we pay five bucks a head per month, essentially. So when it comes to software platforms, processes, so many opportunities um, to do things much smarter than we did back in the day. But, you know, people and product would be the biggest things for us. And, and those are the areas where, because of the way things are evolving in the industry, past experience is not as valuable as you might think. Um, we, because we were doing website design development back then, and now we're doing digital marketing. I mean, we're still, um, we're, we're still constantly in learning mode figuring out the best ways to do the, the new services, the new solutions that we're providing. Uh, people, I think that the biggest perspective or change that we've had there is a much more focused uh, energy put into the culture. And I, I feel like we kind of lucked into it before, and that was simply because we got started at the tail end of the dot-com boom, and there were so many stories about dot-com companies having everything from, you know, foosball tables to $10 million launch parties and, and things like that. So I think everybody was kind of in fun mode. So that was so attractive that we just kind of went that direction. And we had, we, we had really cool traditions very early on and we had really cool things built out in our office. So in that sense, it was kind of a neat culture, but it was very, um, it was very sporadic. There was, there was too much stuff in between all of those amenities or all of those traditions that was really poor culture management. And, you know, I'm basically pointing two thumbs at myself. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of shortcomings and it was, I didn't, I had not been a manager before starting this company. So I didn't really know anything about leadership. Uh, so it, it's really nice to be able to start over this time and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to have that fun that we had before. We're going to make fun job one frankly. But we're also going to make sure that there's real culture that, that bonds all of those individual things together. Uh, so we've got a lot of processes in place, a lot of methodologies in place, um, just general mindset in place now that's intended to avoid at all costs any challenges related to culture, even as we scale. And that's, that's a real big piece for us. I like that you brought up a few things around culture that, um, you know, traditions is one thing you mentioned, um, you know, management also having fun. Um, but, but maybe it sounds like this time around, uh, you know, keeping focused on the right aspects of, of the core business while still having fun and not just fun for fun's sake. I mean, I'm just imagining, you know, some companies in Silicon Valley during the dot com and even now where it's, you know, maybe fun is, you know, or the, 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 the Silicon Valley image is more important than their core product. I mean, it sounds like you, you are very focused on, 
um, the growth of the business and and that mindset while still building a positive culture? Well, to be perfectly clear, when I said fun is job one, I wasn't joking. I think that when people are having fun, productivity goes along with it. Quality of work goes along with it. So it really is my top priority. Uh, I don't care how good of a job we do delivering stuff to clients if we're not having fun. So for me, and I just said this to somebody else uh, in the past couple of days, doing great work, doing something different, innovating, those really are a very close second to just having fun. And I know that that sounds maybe counterintuitive to a lot of people. And, and based on your question, maybe it sounds counterintuitive to you as well. But again, I think that what one of the millions of quotes that we had to memorize at the Air Force Academy is, if I do my full duty, the rest will take care of itself. And I think that that can be kind of parlayed into what I'm talking about here, where if we just have fun doing whatever it is we're doing, the rest will take care of itself. We definitely see that happening. I believe that even as we scale, that will become more and more true, not less true. So this is my, my top priority. And I think uh, any, any CEO who wants to be effective has to constantly be thinking about focusing more and more over time on what their unique contribution to the company can be. Nobody can build culture outside of the, uh, sorry, nobody can be more responsible for culture outside of that CEO role in any company. So ultimately, you know, I'm doing a lot of sales today. Should I be doing sales five years from now? I say no. Uh, I'm actually doing a lot of building of our processes and, and delivering services. Should I be doing that? Clearly not. And if I keep peeling away all of these things, I think what I'll be left with is the cultural side. And I think that the the vast majority of culture should be fun. I'm not, I mentioned foosball tables. I don't think foosball tables represent culture. I don't think they necessarily, I don't think they represent fun because I don't like playing. Some people like <laughs> <laughs> you like but, see that foosball table you just you just feel guilt and shame not not excitement and fun is that you're like oh, i haven't played that foosball ever right <laughs> foosball tables to me are the icon for the dot-com bust you know i mean that's that's what it was so but um yeah for me i mean fun is it means you are excited about coming into work every day instead of dreading it instead of wishing that you had the day off on your days off you miss the office that's the that's the gold standard or the the holy grail, right? If you can get to that point, it's fantastic. And and, and, and staying away from I, I don't know when I when I hear that you know fun is priority number one, I I, I feel like it's a, an episode of The Office with Michael Scott, you know, the the main character or something. I mean, and and obviously there's that kind of leadership where it's it's totally remiss of a core business. But I think what you're I, I like where you're headed with this in terms of people being excited about what they're working on that it's not necessarily about coming in to play foosball it's about coming in and having fun and enjoying the work that you're that you're doing as a team together and and and, and that camaraderie and that enjoyment exactly it's i mean obviously there's a component of having fun away from our computer here in the office uh knocking some balls around, having some cocktails whatever but that's not what we're talking about here the work itself should be fun every part of the day should be fun so that's that's what I focus on. You mentioned that you're spending a lot of time on process. Uh, when you and I chatted about having you back on the show, you had brought up 
uh, some ideas or some things that you had recently tried on the billing front. And uh, speaking of fun, let's talk about billing. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, and I think this is interesting because I, I want to get into this this meat because you, you brought up this concept of uh, point system billing, which we're going to which we're going to unpack a little bit. Um, but I think this is interesting because you have been around uh, the agency game long enough that you've probably tried a lot of, you've, you've tried a lot of processes. Um, and it sounds like you're still working on process. It's not like a process is like a one and done thing. Like, oh, we created all our processes and we're good to go. Uh, it sounds like that's a constant evolution of, um, you know, making sure that your agency is doing the types of work in the types of ways that, um, are uh, are efficient and are using best practices, which means there's probably going to always be some some changes to that. Um, so so maybe we'll we'll kind of ease into this topic of point system billing, and maybe just tell me a little bit about um, over the years what kind of billing uh, processes or how, how you know that relationship that an agency has with the client. Obviously, money has to exchange hands at some levels. I imagine you've tried about everything over the last two decades in terms of that relationship. Um, what? How, how do you guys currently um, bill your clients and how has that changed over the past few years? Well, what we have today is really a combination of stuff that we've done for the past 17, 18 years, plus experimentation with some new models based on the newer types of um, products and services we deliver. So when we were just website design development, Obviously, we were putting together almost across the board fixed fee pricing to design and develop and launch a website. And when you were doing as many websites as we were, you essentially got a really good feel for where any project should lie in terms of pricing. So it was pretty rare that we would go around and get estimates from everybody on the team for new opportunities. I mean, I could pretty much sit down, read an RFP, and just pick a number out of thin air, you know. Uh, 70, that, that feels like 75 grand to me. Boom, you'd put it down and sure enough, you'd be profitable. Uh, so at this stage of the game, coming up on 18 years, even more insight into that. And it's to an extent even simpler today than it was, say, 15 years ago when you didn't have real, you didn't have good content management systems back then. So things could take longer. There was more of a custom component. Today, you can pick WordPress or another CMS. You can build on a, you could, you could kind of design from scratch using a wireframing template and then put it on Bootstrap or Foundation. Uh, you could even take it a step further and just buy a WordPress theme and customize it. And now, you know, you, you have a very finite amount of custom work that would go into any project. So it's easy to just kind of spitball numbers for those. Uh, where we've seen a really big change is when we're starting to deliver these digital marketing retainers. So stuff on a monthly basis where we could pull from a suitcase of dozens of tactics, essentially, to meet whatever our high-level strategy is. And that's where it gets more complex. Uh, we found pretty early on that we would put together a scope for those. Uh, you know, this is the, These are the tactics that we're going to employ on a monthly basis. You see this from a lot of agencies. Like if you go to an SEO agency, guess what they're going to pitch? SEO services. You go to a PPC agency, they're going to pitch PPC and so on. Um, we were wanting to be more agnostic um, tactic wise and basically say, well, we'll do whatever makes sense. So we said we're a growth hacking agency or a growth marketing agency. 
And that meant we might be doing PPC or paid social or inbound content generation, content marketing, funnel building, reputation management. And I mean, the, the, the terms just went a flying. And we found that as soon as we started to dive into these retainers in an effort to actually move the needle for clients, we were doing a lot more than we were really contracted to do. Um, and that meant lower profitability, um, just spending, putting more hours into it than what we had essentially budgeted for that fixed fee throughout the month. And this is a very common problem for anybody uh, who operates within this space of digital marketing. So, you know, that's, that's been essentially our, our pricing model over time. Um, it's interesting that I think we were probably about a six month old agency when we went to a blended agency rate, hourly rate of 150 bucks. And everything that we did for probably 16, 17 years was based on that. If we build anything hourly, it was 150 an hour. If we did put together estimates for anything that would be fixed bid, it was based on 150 an hour. Everything was just totally ingrained as 150 bucks an hour is our target hourly rate. And somewhere along the way, we started to, you know, everybody started talking more and more about getting away from hourly billing um, and, and getting into something that's more value-based. And that just opens up a whole can of worms in terms of different theories and um, trends as to how people were handling that. And I'm sure you're familiar with some of those. I mean, that's pretty incredible that you had the same billable rate for 17 years. <laughs> but I mean, so, I think, but even still, I mean, I think you and I had talked at one point and most of your actual revenue was coming from fixed price projects, which, um, you know, had an opportunity because of efficiency or processes or frameworks uh, to probably have a much higher realized hourly because you're using some of your own like internal IP to get, um, you know, to be able to deliver projects faster than maybe what you had originally estimated. And, and I mean, even fixed price in general, like you carry a certain amount of risk, like not every project goes to uh, on budget or is profitable. I mean, sometimes you have those projects where the client kind of wins in terms of an unexpected risk comes up and, you know, uh, you have to kind of eat that. Um, so, so you mentioned um, you had you had this hourly. You did a lot of fixed price. You started to realize that you were maybe not as profitable as you would have liked on the um, on the digital marketing retainers. Uh, and one thing that you you mentioned that is interesting is that you tended to over deliver um, to try to get these results, which meant that you were making less money. Um, so, so why why does that happen? I mean. It, is that just because you're you're so hungry to get your clients' results, or that's what they're ultimately wanting? That um, that's just a natural thing to do to like feel like you're not delivering enough, or why does it happen? Um, you know, if you have a fixed retainer, why why is that any different than a fixed price project? Well, I think there's a fundamental difference between website design development and then digital marketing because the results of the former are much more nebulous than the results of the latter. Uh, you know, in terms of KPIs, what do you have with uh, what is essentially like a rebranding, for example? Um, how do you put value on, say, a logo design, right? It's very tricky. And websites for the first 15 years of our business, I think, fell into that same bucket where it's like, all right, you have a website. 
whether or not it is going to be profitable, generate revenue, isn't so much up to the website itself at that point. Uh, and let, until you start putting money into promoting it, pushing traffic to in, to in that to that site and seeing what kind of conversion you get, then it's really just, it's more of an expense than an investment. So when we got into the digital marketing side, we wanted to be able to enjoy the same types of the same level of results or recognition that we had gotten uh, with our websites. And to do that, you actually have to show positive ROI. And it's very easy to do that. There, there's no gray area when it comes to digital marketing. If a client is paying you 10 grand a month and you're bringing in an additional three grand a month, you're not doing a good job. So in that sense, we wanted to make sure that we were going to have some referenceable results and we wanted to make sure that we were going to deliver enough ROI that we wouldn't be fired by the client. So that's where over-delivering comes into play because we just wanted to get up to speed as quickly as possible, get quick wins. Um, if we saw some tactics that weren't really contributing to the high-level strategy, then we wanted to swap those out with other tactics. So it was just a constant battle to find that right mix. Uh, and the fact that our digital marketing business still really mimics to a large extent our website business, which is to say... We've always worked for any client of any size in any industry. That, on the digital marketing side, it means that it, there's still a lot of custom work. Every avatar was unique and new. Every piece of content, blog article, uh, gated content offer, ad, all of these things were going to be different every time. There was no reusability on the digital marketing side like we had come to expect on the website side. So I assume that as you started to not be as profitable on the digital marketing side, but this is a big growth area of your business that you had mentioned that, um, you know, this has been a, a big reason that you've been able to start ramping uh, your agency back up. So you're, you're taking on a lot more work in this space, but it's not as profitable or lucrative. Uh, so I assume that that's where you started to seek out other options and came across uh, this point-based billing system. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that is and, and why it's a, a, a solution to this problem? Yeah. Uh, so what we found is we, we realized that we couldn't just keep basing off of the hour. Because we we're doing so much stuff custom every time, it was going to make that very difficult to ever really have a healthy margin. Now, if we had instead been able to focus on a very specific niche and put together a reusable funnel and then be able to resell that same type of funnel to similar businesses across the country. So you'd have a lot of reusability. It put us more into this realm of where we were with websites, where we could literally reuse, as you said, a lot of the IP from one project to the next. Now, in a case like that, let's say, all right, we can, we can almost use this blog article as is verbatim for this other client in California as the one that we have in Florida, for example. You know, I need to tweak just enough so that you don't say piss off the search engines, for example. Um, but for the most part, what may have taken you 10 hours of research and writing to create the first time might take you 20 minutes the second time. So should you really be billing based on 20 minutes of work that second time? No, because the value is still there and you're delivering on the value. So you should still be able to maybe charge based on 10 hours of work because that's what originally went into creating that asset. But now you're going to have a much healthier margin. So 
this is where we get out of that mindset of billing by the hour and into the mindset of billing based on value. And to reuse a term from earlier in this interview, it's the holy grail, right? If we can just charge clients based on the value we're providing instead of based on the time we're putting into it, that's fantastic. So that's kind of where this came in. And one of our employees sent over a link to a blog article from earlier this year. And I'm sure we can put that in the show notes. Uh, but this is from PR 2020. And it's actually a really nice little timeline of how this organization went through the process of trying to get out of hourly billing. And to be fair, and I might say this again, if, when we dig into more of the nuts and bolts of this program, it's not really fully getting away from charging by the hour, but it's it's a step in the right direction. It's adding in multipliers to kind of separate those higher value services the, from the more commoditized services. And it certainly gives us the ability to charge based on value for things like that reusable blog article that I talked about, where there, there's almost no tie-in to the hourly piece whatsoever. But this article, uh, it's, it's a story of how they eliminated hours from their pricing uh, it's from Paul Retzer, who's like, he's the CEO of PR 2020, and he's written a couple of really cool books, Marketing Performance Blueprint, Marketing Agency Blueprint, et cetera. He's involved in some other things. But it goes through there, I want to say maybe like an eight-year cycle, it could be longer than that, of iterative changes to their methodology to get away from hourly-based billing. And they, they've got some really good logic in here. So we read through and really started to build something based off of this. this find how it could relate to our business model, the challenges we were having. And then we kind of morphed it into something that worked for us. But one of the, I think, more valuable things in this article relates to forecasting bias. Uh, so going back to, say, something easy like our website design development, if we had a uh, $75,000 website back in the day, we were guessing how long it would take us to actually build the components of that website. And humans are notoriously bad at estimating the amount of time it's going to take to do anything. In fact, back in those days, we had one key employee, a developer, and we would ask him for estimates on things. And then we found that those estimates were always coming in really low, but he was constantly giving us very similar estimates. So I sat down and I said, I think what's happening here is you're saying, this is how long I think it would take me to sit down and write the code. And you're forgetting about things like, what if you have interruptions? What if uh, you show the client and they say, oh, that's not quite what we had in mind. We were thinking this component and that component, we're going to work this way and that. So now you've got to do revisions. What about fixing other bugs? What about uh, project management time that goes into it, brainstorming time, these sorts of things. So we've created a multiplier for him. And then he would apply that multiplier to all of his new estimates. And then boom, they were they were very accurate from that point forward. But another concept that Paul brings up in this article is the Fibonacci sequence and also known as what is it? The golden ratio, right? So that Nautilus diagram that we're all familiar with, um, the perfect ratio and being able to leverage the Fibonacci sequence for estimating is really cool. So you'll basically find that that number, uh, if, if you're familiar with it at all, it's what 1.6 something or other, uh, 1.618. It, it grows so quickly over time that when you apply this to the way you estimate time, it means that the bigger the project or the bigger the estimate becomes, 
the more leeway it gives you in terms of covering your butt. So on the smaller ones, if something's going to take an hour, you can probably pretty accurately estimate that it's going to take an hour. But when you get into projects that are 600 hours or more, now you're probably going to be off because what could be a 20% variance or inaccuracy on a one-hour task means you only went over by 20 minutes. When you get into 600 hours, if you're off by 20%, I mean, you could basically blow through your entire margin right there. So Fibonacci sequence basically lets you say, all right, I think this project is going to take 38 hours. That's my estimate. Well, now you refer to the Fibonacci sequence and you'd see you're already past the 34 mark. The next number in the Fibonacci sequence is going to be 55. So you go with 55. It's giving you that extra padding to cover forecast bias. So that's kind of a key. Is For us then, what we did was we came up with a spreadsheet with every tactic or service or deliverable, whatever you want to call it, that we deliver as part of our growth marketing retainers. And we put down a time estimate on those. And we use the Fibonacci sequence to come up with those numbers. So the more time consuming the task, the bigger we're gonna, we're gonna be rounding up, essentially. So that was the starting point. And this is, again, where we're essentially still talking about a foundation on the number of hours it takes to do something, but that's pretty much where it stops. So the next thing we do, um, which is still covered in this blog article, is we apply a multiplier. And that's not a universal multiplier for us. And for some places, maybe it would be. But some of the things that we do as part of our growth marketing retainers are still commodities. Um, you know, posting a blog article to the website, I mean, you could pay anybody anywhere, probably 25 bucks an hour or even less to do that. It doesn't take any specialized skill. Writing that blog article takes more skill. Writing it well takes significantly more skill. Doing things like creating highly optimized, high-budget, paid social campaigns with dynamic creative, that's a lot more rare. So in a sense, you could think of this as kind of getting out of the blended agency rate, which for us, again, is 150 bucks an hour, and moving back into the more traditional model of tiered rates. But we're doing it by just applying a multiplier to these services. So I could say, all right, if we're going to create a Facebook ad campaign, I don't want that to be 150 bucks an hour. I think that we're really good at it. We use more expensive resources for it. So we definitely need to cover more of our costs on it. And it's something that people, our, our clients are going to have a harder time getting from the competition. Ergo, more value built into that particular service. So we're going to use a multiplier of maybe it's a 2.0 multiplier. So essentially, instead of 150 bucks an hour, we'd be realizing 300 bucks an hour. We multiply those, those two numbers then, 150 times our multiplier of two, to come up with that total. Uh, and and we're, we're essentially looking for what would be our point for this. So this is called point-based pricing. So by taking the number of hours times our multiplier, we get a point. And by the way, we round our points as well, because uh, in some of these, you're going to find that you get decimals and it's not good to communicate decimal-based points to clients. We want everything to be nice and simple. So we show clients the points that every service or every tactic or every deliverable will cost them. And then we sell them packages of points instead of hours. We actually, it's, 
kind of a difficult um, concept to explain verbally. If you read the blog article, you'll have a very good understanding of it. And then we'll, I'm happy to share the spreadsheets, the prototypes that we put together uh, as in the show notes here so that people can actually play around and see how all this stuff works. But the idea here is we can start assigning points values to things and then we're charging based off of what we consider value instead of the hourly fee. Now, again, um, because the, hour, the, the hourly estimate comes into play for the point itself, it's part of that algorithm, people would say it's still based on hours. But again, if we can find reusability, so that that blog article that we talked about can be reused with just a minimal level of customization from one client to the next, we're not changing our cost or we're not changing our price for that item. It's still the same number of points. So again, we're, we're not telling clients that we're going to build them based on how many hours we put into customizing or writing that blog article for them. We're just saying we wrote you a blog article of certain length and here's the point value and that's what you're going to pay based on. I have so many questions. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, so, so, so on the, um, just so I can wrap my head around it and, um, and we will link out to all these resources for our, um, our listeners. So definitely check out yougurus.com forward slash podcast, click on this episode and, uh, and take a look at the, the, the additional resources, the spreadsheet that Phil, Phil recommended. So you've got your, um, your multiplier by service. You also mentioned the Fibonacci sequence and I love that idea of, of, of leveraging, you know, something that literally appears in nature as a way to like overcome our, uh, our estimating bias and forecasting bias, uh, inadequacies, uh, there. So on the, on the points, uh, system, you get the multiplier. And then when you estimate that you're also using the Fibonacci sequence to kind of up estimate for, for that time. So it's got kind of like two layers of like the value, um, basically you're you're charging more based on the value of that service versus other services and you're accounting for um our uh our bias of underestimating things is that is that correct yep exactly and that's i find that very interesting that we we need we need these like systems and levers to push us out of the oh no no i got this it'll be it'll be you know just 30 hours right but but really it'll probably be like 50 um Okay, cool. So you've got those couple of things and the spreadsheet, it sounds like will make this abundantly clear for our listeners as well. So they'll see both of these kind of levers at work on that spreadsheet. Yeah, absolutely. Although again, I would highly recommend that people check out the blog article first. It's got so much more detail about kind of the, the history and the logic that goes into this than we'd want to cover on the interview today. So reading through that article first and then seeing how we turned that into a tool, which by the way, we, we paid quite a bit of money to develop on our own, um, but you know, everybody else can just use that, make a copy of it. These are, these are Google Sheets that we put together. Um, you'll really understand how those numbers fit together. It, it's still a very simple prototype in the spreadsheet, so a uh, little explanation, which we have in the spreadsheets already. You can see the comments that we put in there, but it's really about five, maybe six steps total to populate and use these spreadsheets uh, to actually run a points-based system. So yeah, it, it, the concept itself is very simple, uh, just in terms of the math. There are only like three numbers that we really care about. So the the big variable here for me is, of course, um, 
you know, this all sounds great on paper. Uh, you mentioned this is something that you show the clients and then you actually have them shift to a mindset of we are buying a certain number of points or we are budgeting for a certain number of points on a monthly basis. Um, so what's their reaction to this? I mean, are they like, ooh, points, like, yay, like we're going to, you know, we're going to buy a certain number of points or is there friction with them or is there, uh, do they really care? I mean, what's, what's the, how does this actually get delivered to them and what's been the reaction from your clients? This is something that we just started putting together this summer, maybe this spring, basically. So it's still relatively new for us. And as we roll it out to clients, uh, I, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes eyes glaze over a little bit. At the end of the day, we happen to have a good chunk of clients who just have a lot of trust in us. The key here is that you need to be able to communicate with them that you have uh, like an agile methodology that you use for delivering services, which is to say you're not one of those agencies that is going to always push SEO because that's what you do or PPC because that's what you do. This is more about saying we need the freedom to put together the right mix. In our case, month to month. Maybe you say quarter to quarter. Maybe you say week to week. I don't care. But the point is you need to you need to have an assumption of variability in the services that you're going to provide. Otherwise, you don't need a point system uh, because if there's no variability, you should just have a package pricing. It's a thousand bucks, and we're doing your SEO. Uh, but for us, what we're doing this month may not be what we're doing next month. Maybe we're going to take organic SEO out of the mix. Maybe we're going to add some paid search in two months. Maybe. Next month, we're going to create a new gated content funnel for you, but we don't need to do another one for a quarter. So everything is going to change from month to month. We need a way to say, here's how much work or value we're going to put in to each month based on what you're paying us. But we need that the ability to have those mixes vary from period to period. Um, so that that's a key. And for anybody out there who is still just doing, say, website design and development, there are certain things from this, this article or this methodology that would still be of value for you. I mean, estimating based on the Fibonacci sequence itself would be huge, but you don't need to have uh, the same level of importance on variability from month to month. So I don't know that actually doing a point system is going to make any sense because you're probably more likely just going to be doing a flat fee for whatever the scope of that website is. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this, I feel it's kind of funny because you said that, you know, you get into explaining this to clients and their eyes kind of glaze over or they're maybe not inter as interested in the deal, uh, in, in the details. I feel like from a client's perspective, it's, uh, you know, do you know, do I trust this agency to get me the results that they say they can get me? Uh, are the results worth the investment? And then, uh, especially if you're on a kind of an, a month to month or more agile kind of method, um, are they getting me results? Cause I think at the end, you know, you can get away with a lot. I mean, you could confuse the heck out of your clients, but if you guys are actually getting them the results, I mean, that's probably what it comes down to at the end of the day is they'll, they'll, they'll get billed however you want, as long as you're getting them the results. So I think the main thing, um, you know, does this method of billing help you to um, get the right resources, have the right talent, have the right margins to, uh, to, to, to make the investment to be able to get the clients a result, like to be able to provide them that? 
Um, I mean, at the end of the day, that's going to be the most important thing, right? Absolutely. And this entire process, the spreadsheets that we've put together with these complex calculations, none of this will help you deliver better service. You can either write effective blog articles or you can write crappy ones. You can either execute fantastic PPC campaigns or you can really suck at it. This doesn't make you better at your skills. All this does, this is really a billing, uh, it's a billing paradigm. And it, it is important, but it, it helps clients too. And one of the things that you could run into is let's say you're, you're doing a flat retainer uh, for digital marketing for a client. And let's just call it $10,000 a month, nice round number. And you're, you're doing lots of work in that. And then the client says, you know what, here's a, uh, here's a new webinar that we've got coming up here. Can you create a landing page and an email sequence? and send out an email campaign and do some ad campaigns around this. And you're like, whoa, I mean, that's, that's a lot of additional work. Um, we really don't have enough time built into our month you know, to, to be able to deliver that. Um, it's, it's out of scope. And they would say, well, what is scope? I mean, what exactly are you guys supposed to be delivering? How many hours do I get a month? That conversation will come up a lot if it doesn't already. So this, again, is a way to kind of help them understand what's in scope and out of scope. 15 years ago, we had another agency come into our office. It was a potential partnership thing. And they had a really neat little methodology that they used, mainly for websites, where they had uh, just regular note cards. And they would write features on all of these note cards. And then they'd say, all right, so we're going to prioritize these. And these are the 20 features that we absolutely need to have. And you know what? That's going to cost $20,000 to build. And we're going to table these others for future phases. And then a client might say, you know what, we really want that one in there. And they'd say, okay, well, let's take that note card and then we'll put it over here in the stack of things that are in scope. But we either need to remove one or more from that stack or we need to talk about a different budget. This is very similar, except it's in spreadsheet format now. So we can show the client our, their spreadsheet and they can see month to month. So here's what we're doing in October. Here's what we're doing in November. And it's got each one of the tactics or deliverables listed on here using the calculations that we've built in here. And they can see the totals at the top for each month. So you're paying for 38 points per month right now. If you want us to put this funnel in here, that's taken us up to 58 points for, for next month. Something's got to give. Should we shift some of the other tactics that are in there to subsequent months? Do you want to buy more points? What are we going to do? But that's the part that offers a lot of value to clients because they say, okay, I understand now what I'm paying for and I understand why there are implications to my request. It's a great thing to review, you know, whether you're doing um, retainer reviews on a weekly or monthly basis, whatever. This is really kind of your blueprint to pull up and say, here's what we're working on this month, next month, and what's forecasted beyond. I feel like one of the benefits here for them is uh, transparency that you can actually, you know, that you are showing them kind of how, how every, how they're getting to um, their, their billings. And I think a lot of digital marketing agencies uh, that I've been exposed to have lacked that. And then that's kind of, you know, that they pay their, uh, you know, clients pay their agency three grand a month, seven grand a month or whatever that number is. And then they have a hard time explaining why, why what they're doing is costing a certain amount. So I feel like this is a, um, if that's a problem that, that our listeners have that you out there have, um, this could be a solution for that. And of course, 
Uh, Phil's been generous enough to provide lots of resources that we'll link out to in our show notes. Um, Phil, this has been fascinating. It's been great to get caught up on Creation Chamber. Uh, I also think any episode that has the word Fibonacci in it um, will probably be popular. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I'm, I'm ready to close out here with our, uh, our lightning round, which this will be your third go. So we'll see how, uh, how consistent your answers are. Are you ready? <laughs> sure, let's go. All right. Uh, Phil, what is the best advice you've ever received? So with this being my third try, I actually, I was expecting this question and I've got an answer. Uh, I, I tend to probably every quarter I have a word or a set of words that I just kind of carry around with me. They're like trigger words. I, I think maybe uh, Tim Ferriss does this as well. And the current one is actually from one of his books, uh, Tools of the Titans, although they didn't write this. It's an older saying. So this is not advice that was given to me directly, but it's advice that I read. And it's the way you do anything is the way you do everything. That's what I repeat on a daily basis when I'm working on anything, basically. But the full quote that I really like, it really resonates is, the way you do anything is the way you do everything People think they can wait around for the big moments to turn it on, but when you're not cultivating quality, you're cultivating sloppiness. It's lightning round, so I'm not even going to explain it. I always over-explain stuff in the lightning round, and that's not the point of the lightning round, right? <laughs> you're catching <laughs> on three, three times in, and we're starting to get this. This is good. Um, <laughs> which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? I thought about this one too, but, and I, I normally don't even do homework on these. I wait and then I'm surprised when you ask me and like, ah, crap, I wish I had thought about that ahead of time. I know that last time, I think last time I said attention to detail and I, that can sound cliche, but it, I would repeat that this time. It's attention to detail. But what I mean by that people, I think most people would say they have strong attention to detail. Um, try to find a job description that doesn't say requires strong attention to detail. But I, I, in my experience, probably fewer than 5% of the people I know have strong attention to detail. And um, I was actually thinking recently that for me, that goes all the way back to when I was a little kid. And I remember I would draw constantly um, through classes, everything. I got good grades in elementary school, but my teachers all sent back notes saying, Phil gets good grades, but he just draws in class all day. And I think drawing or maybe any kind of fine art like that teaches you strong attention to detail. And I don't know if I was good at art as a kid because I had strong attention to detail because I was born with it, or if I developed strong attention to detail because of drawing all the time. Um, but I think it's a fantastic skill. So if anybody wants to hone their attention to detail, try drawing because you've got to get proportions right, angles right, um, shapes right shading right, all of these things. And it's just a constant battle for perfection in a good way, not, not, not in the bad way. Um, but yeah, it, so many things that I succeed at, um, so many things that set me or our agency apart, I think kind of come down to that attention to detail. That's great. I love the uh, actionable on there as well. Um, can you share an internet resource or a tool that you've been using of late that you think our listeners would find valuable? There are, there are several. Um, we started using one just a few months ago. It's called 15.5. And you are an EOS business, um, entrepreneur operating system. Um, 
we dug into that quite a bit ourselves. We dug into the 12-week year, which is very similar. And there's the concept of OKRs, objectives and key results, on which a lot of these, including EOS, I think are, are partially based. Um, and OKRs, I think the original um, company that, that made those famous was Intel. And then whoever it was at Intel ended up like taking them to Google or something um, as well. So a lot of well-known companies rely on OKRs. And 15.5 is a system that really automates OKRs. And that's something that we looked for when we were in EOS. We signed up for their, their digital product. And personally, I think it sucked. Uh, even the 12-week year came out with one. We looked into it. And I think that one kind of sucked. 15.5 is a fantastic UI. And it allows you to track more than just the OKRs for your team. But it, it's really good at cascading. So you can say for this quarter, these are our three biggest priorities. And then everybody on the team ends up having assignments in there that support those key objectives. And it's got stuff built in that really helps us like with uh, reinforcing our core values. Uh, it handles all of your, however frequently you do any kind of a one-on-one -on -one review. You can do 360-degree reviews. It automates everything, tells you what you should be working on um, every week, tracks your progress. Super cool tool. And it's one of those things where uh, no matter what size agency you are, there are certain things that you might need to wait on doing until you're a bigger agency. Uh, like maybe, I don't know, putting into place a 401k maybe. And maybe you don't need to do that when you're two or three people. Maybe you do. Uh, but there are other things where it's smarter to do it at the beginning because then it's there. It's foundational. Everybody grows along with it. This is one of those. I don't care if you're two people or 20 people. If you implement something like this sooner rather than later, you'll be glad that you did because heaven forbid you get to the point where you're 25, 30 employees or more. And now your every day is just a whirlwind and you're like, we don't possibly have enough time to put something like that into place and, and alter our process and, and the foundation of, of culture. That's great. We'll link out to that. I actually uh, met the founder of that company at some point along my way. And, uh, uh, it's, it's been cool to see their, uh, their platform really evolve, um, uh, and change. What book would you recommend? Oh man, forgot about this one. Um, do you remember what I said last? No, you don't. Cause you do these all the time. You know, I'm on a kick with, uh, customer service books right now, just because it's a big part of our focus. And I'm actually most of the way through one called exceptional service, exceptional profit. Um, it's, some of it is super basic, super elementary. Um, so I go through chapters where I'm like, oh, God, no kidding. I can't believe I just wasted the time to read that. But there are, to use your vernacular, lots and lots of gold nuggets in this book. So if you think you are bad as a company uh, at customer service or as an individual, or if you think you're good, I promise you, you're going to learn some new stuff in here. There are some really great analogies where I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like us. And they're like, that's really bad. I'm like, oh. And they explain why. So that's a, that's a really cool one. Um, let's go with that. And how can our audience find more about you? And is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, I don't have a great answer for this one. I know that in the past I've said, follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me on Facebook, these sorts of things. Honestly, I'm not doing much of anything on social media <laughs> as of late. So 
Um, connect with me on LinkedIn for sure, because I, I know that I'll always leverage that. Um, so when I do start uh, being more active on social, that's a great place to do it. Um, I had a lot of people after the last one connect with me on Facebook, and they're probably uh, wondering why at this point, because I really don't post anything at all. And I'll probably completely uh, wipe away my, my friends list on Facebook again here and start from scratch again at some point. I tend to do that every few years. So LinkedIn for Phil, we'll make sure to link to that in our show notes, not, um, not Facebook. And, uh, I don't think that's a, a huge problem to, to, to not, um, or be just open and honest about where you're active on social media. So, um, Phil, this has been a, a gold nugget filled episode. I think it's been great to talk about culture and to talk about, um, billing and to go in depth on, um, a lot of these topics that you've shared. I think this will be a very rich show notes episode. So thanks again for stopping by the digital agency show. I can't wait for number four. <laughs> we will have you, maybe, maybe you'll be our, our regular, right? Our, our, our very own Alec Baldwin. So, um, <laughs> so thanks again. Um, that is it for, uh, this week's episode of the digital agency show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming at you on how to grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life until next time. I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the digital agency show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. You probably thought we were done with this episode. Uh... After uh, I got off the official recording with Phil, he actually offered to create a short video walkthrough of the spreadsheet that he referenced in um, uh, on this episode. So if you want that, if you want to watch the video, get the spreadsheet, get all the other stuff that Phil referenced, please make sure you check out uh, our wonderful show notes at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Find the recent episode from Phil Lockwood and uh, and check that out. Watch the video that he's got about this point-based billing system and the spreadsheet that he created that you all can grab and just copy from his Google account. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Super valuable. I bet you're going to enjoy seeing that, whether it's the right fit for your agency or not. Um, and that's it. So hope you enjoyed this little extra bonus. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Mm-hmm.